Hello, sustainability partners. This is Lydia van der Broek, here to share with you best practices around sustainability in hospitality and tourism. And by sustainability, I mean more than mere ecological sustainability, which has thankfully moved into the center of our collective attention over the last few years. If you want to run a truly sustainable operation, you need to also assure economic sustainability, primarily through excellent guest service and human as well as social sustainability by training and empowering your staff and including the communities that you interact with. How? Well, this is where I come in and I talk to real people in real businesses to hear about real solutions to real challenges. And I'm happy to share these learnings with you. So if you want to become more sustainable, I invite you to listen in to our conversations and pick out some of these gold nuggets you can hopefully use in your own operations. And as a side note, every one of my guests has offered to make themselves available for a more in-depth conversation. So by all means, do reach out, connect, and together we can make hospitality and tourism more sustainable. Hello, friends of sustainability, and thank you so much for tuning in again. And I promise you, you won't regret it. My guest today is running a safari operation in the fourth or fifth generation in Kenya. Uh, that operation is a global eco resort and a member of the long run. You might have heard of it. It's this community of nature-based travel businesses operating according to the four C's conservation, community, culture, and commerce. And he will be referring to that in the course of our conversation. So, of course, I knew that he'd have great insights to share. What I did not expect was that I would end up with a whole new paradigm around sustainability, regenerative travel, and conservation. So, without further ado, here he is. I'm very proud to introduce to you Mr. Calvin Cotter, of Cotter's Safari. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, welcome Calvin Cotter. It's such a pleasure to have you here speaking to me, to us today. And I must say it really feels like I'm speaking to Safari royalty here, right? But before I get all, all woo-woo about uh, who you are and, and, and the rich heritage that you bring to this conversation, How about I hand the mic over to you and give you the opportunity to introduce yourself, Calvin? Thank you so much, Lydia. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be here. And um, I must say, uh, we don't think of ourselves as Sapai Roti when we're sweating and struggling in the bush doing what we do. <laughs> But however, lots of interesting stories from our long history. I, I come from a family uh, that came out in 1909 to what was then British East Africa. And uh, we were actually, we focused originally on hunting. That was just what was done in those days. And that uh, transitioned over the years through the generations into filming safaris, photographic safaris, and uh, tented camps for tourism. So my, my father actually started the very first tented camp in Africa in Savo in 1964 for tourism dedicated to tourism. And so we've been through the entire evolution of safari and, you know, even, you know, the Blixens in out of Africa, they were 30 years after us. So 
they would get in our homes when they first arrived and picked up information and knowledge how to how to do how to operate in that. So um, yeah, we currently have a camp in an area called Odrekesi. It is it is uh, we call it 1920s ferry camps. Um, so it harks back to the elegant history out of Africa sort of style. But I'm most proud of our community and conservation approach. Uh, quite, it's very different to many other tourism facilities. We've had we've had a big sea change in in basically in our outlook. What is our purpose uh, for doing tourism in Africa? What is the purpose of driving guests around, looking at lions and elephants? And increasingly, it is about equity, fair sharing of revenues that we can earn with a community with wildlife, as well as, of course, uh, conservation. So if we can make local people's livelihoods better because they have wildlife on the land, that's, that is basically our purpose. And that is the basis on which we operate now. Wow. It's quite an evolution over the last hundred years, isn't it? <clears throat> quite a change of mindset. And I uh, hope we'll have the chance to talk about this a little more. Now, I, I looked at your website, of course, and I tried to read up as much as I could. Now, just out of curiosity, what made your great, great, great grandfather uh, move from, he was from the US, right? <laughs> to Africa? That was yeah, he's from, back then. yeah, he moved from Oklahoma. Yeah, he moved from Oklahoma. Uh, Texas Panhandle area, which, if you recall, that area was had just come out of the Comanche Wars and had uh, just started the fencing off of land. And the, there was a sheep, a sheep herders versus cattle herders war that happened soon after the Comanche Wars, um, which is actually um, one of the reasons why it became a dust bowl. The entire area was destroyed. Um, it eventually ended up in. A, in a, a complete dust bowl, and um, they destroyed the Great Plains um, by having too many uh, sheep and actually cattle. But anyway, that was one of the reasons was the 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 West of of America be, had become tame and corrupted, poor land uses, that sort of thing. And uh, he had Charlie had Charles Cotter was my great grandfather. He had read of Teddy Roosevelt's big safari in Africa. Um, I think that was in 1906 uh, through his book, Game Trails in Africa. So he said, well, I'm, he only ever wanted to chase the adventure. He was an adventureman always. Mm -hmm. So he came out for a, for a safari, which lasted six months. So it, was no, it was not easy to get to Africa from America in those days. You had to get on the boat to, to Europe and then go through across land through France, get on another boat at Marseille, And then down through the it's been finished, and then down the Horn of Africa to British East Africa. So it was like a six-week trip in itself. So anyway, months and months later, he came back to America, picked up his whole family of nine children, of course his wife, and carried them back. In 1912, they were fully established uh, in Nairobi. And uh, he, he was actually one of the very first, I'd say, professional guides in those days, as I say, it was hunting. Mm -hmm. But very quickly, he morphed into the, the filming of the hunts and also just filming of wildlife. So he was involved in the making of Africa Speaks by Paul Hoffler, the very first color film in Africa. 
and also all the work done by Martin and Osa Johnson was with the Cotters. Um, she was famous for her book, I Married Adventure, and was kind of the film star at the time because of their adventures in Fiji and in the Amazon and in Africa. So he took on the idea that cameras was the way forward and developed the filming. He was killed by a rhino in 1939 in the Mara, filming it. It was actually, in those days, the way they filmed animals was not like us in today's car uh, photographs as far as we sit in a car, we drive around and we find them. Right. He would actually set up his camera at a place, a choke point between two thickets. And then he'd have his staff beat the animals down, like make noise, push them towards him. So he's under the cover with the, you know, rolling the wheel of the camera as the animals are charging towards him. So he was eventually killed by a rhino doing exactly that. And he had been mauled three times by a leopard doing that as well previously. What a story. So, huh? Quite a lot of adventure. Just sitting here listening to you because it's such a yeah. such a fascinating story. So you are fourth or fifth generation African and keeper of of the land that I suppose your 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 great grandfather bought. Oh no no we 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 don't own a therapy. We never bought land in that context. Oh, okay. It was not like uh, we came to take over 100,000 acres or anything like that. Yes, we have land in Nairobi, just where our house is, our home base is. And um, my dad bought a few plots here and there, very small plots. But no, the idea was always that we go into community land and we build on their land. See, the, the, the future for us, uh, I'd say white Africans, is actually to be seen not to take away opportunities from the local community. So when, you know, this is obviously a contentious issue considering South Africa, Zimbabwe, and parts of Kenya, and it wouldn't be popular for my friends there to hear me say this, but uh, you, you can't really, if you buy land in Africa for conservation, you're actually just kicking the, the painful can forward to another another day Because as people are suffering outside through tragedy of comments for land use and population growth, and you try harder and harder to defend your particular patch, mm -hmm. however big it may be, it can only lead to warfare and conflict. Mm -hmm. Our theory of change is quite the opposite, is that we go, we have always gone to their land, to their places, to their people, to them, and said, look, we will, we will give you a better livelihood income or opportunities, employment, and basically a better life if we work together. Because we are very good at capturing the abstract value of wildlife and tourism. And we will make sure that this is fairly shared through leases, bed nights, etc., conservation fees, um, so that you have a better, a better life generally across thousands of people. And by making it a win-win, Not only does are there more people coming out of poverty, climbing up the hierarchy of needs, but biodiversity is the reason for that, I'd say, better livelihood income. So when you make elephants, you know, when you hear all the crisis and you see all the media and the PR from wildlife conservation NGOs, it's always some bad African poaching some poor animal. Mm -hmm. Well, this is actually a very, very uh, incorrect perception of what is really happening in Africa. What is happening in Africa is land use change because wildlife 
has no value to keep. Land use poaching and those terrible things happen as a byproduct of land use change ultimately. Mm-hmm. And the the actually many, many elephants are killed, lions are poisoned because the community want them gone mm-hmm. because they bring no benefit. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can make tourism actually a way for people to benefit properly at a true a true value, which is the true value is the opportunity cost of another land use that they could do. Mm. So it could be maize, monoculture, farming, you know, yes, uh, unfortunately, subsistence farming is what the governments of Africa uh, uh, subsidizes, often with donor aid. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, biodiversity is not subsidized. Mm -hmm. Yet there's a billion dollar industry in Kenya alone, a tourism industry, where uh, the the recent uh, uh, report from the African Leadership University based in Rwanda, they did a report called The State of Wildlife in Kenya that showed in that in 20, I guess it was 2019, uh, it, uh, it produced a, a gross revenues of $1.08 billion. Yes. That's quite a lot of money and yes. only $11 million or I guess it's 1.1%. Percent mm-hmm. got to landowners with wildlife on their land, which is where seventy percent of our wildlife in Kenya resides. So when you're considering that there's no value to wildlife mm-hmm. because oh, state owns the wildlife, and yet there is a billion dollars made from tourism. Hmm. Most of that breakdown goes to the selling chain, thirty-five percent, the government, twenty-five percent and to operate the safaris, mm-hmm. uh, 40% people take. So at the very, very last afterthought are landowners who actually live with wildlife, and they live with the, with the consequences of wildlife, which means elephants eat three pounds of food a day, need lots of water, break fences, mm-hmm. chase people, are aggressive often. No, they're not sweet little dumbos mm-hmm. that you see in the movies. They are big, dangerous megafauna that compete effectively with humans and always have, mm-hmm. let alone lions and buffaloes and all the other critters that mm-hmm. eat sheep, eat cows, and kill people. So so really, the people have no choice and have, no, have had no choice but to remove wildlife, to put something else on that they can control for their livelihood income. Mm-hmm. And no, there's no, there's no social services that will sustain people like the doll, or if you're poor, no, no one's going to come and help you. You either you either dig for your food on the ground, mm-hmm. or you die, or you starve. Mm-hmm. So, so what we're trying to say is, if tourism can be restructured generally, so that you know at least twenty, thirty percent of this incredible revenues can come down in in the form of leases, payment for ecosystem services, or biodiversity easement payments. There's many ways of framing it, mm-hmm. uh, or you know acronyms for this, but. You know, we could pull 10 million people out of poverty and secure 150,000 square kilometers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's through, through leasing the land. The idea, what we've seen in the Mara, we've actually, we're not just talking, I'm just talking like it's an idea. We actually do this. We at Cotters, we lease land at Alderakesi from the community, but we're also part of a bigger group of conservancies in the Mara area. 
It's called the Maasai Mara Wildlife Conservancy Association. There's 15, 17 of them. We secure an area bigger than the Mara Reserve itself, and the beneficiaries are close to 300,000 people. Okay. And what we have seen is, is casually that we've seen that um, when people get a regular amount of income every month, like a, it's like a salary, mm-hmm. or you could call it a basic universal pay, that they actually do more with that money to improve their lives. Mm-hmm. The, the, the birth rates drop immediately, mm-hmm. education's better, medicine's mm-hmm. better, and people start looking long-term again. They start working cooperatively better. So we're combining the two, the values of biodiversity, a true value from tourism in this case, but it could be from carbon, it could be from philanthropy, it could be from other forms of sustainable use mm-hmm. up into a into a into a way that translates into many, many families getting direct income. And and the the quid pro quo is that they don't destroy biodiversity, mm. fence it, farm it, poison it. Um, shoot it, chase it down with motorbikes, with with machetes, all of this stuff. Yeah, it's a miracle what really happens when you do this. Wow, that's quite a, a paradigm change, surely, for many people, right? Uh, to hear you speak like that, and from, from what I hear you, you say is the that community involvement, which is you know one of the one of the uh, the the pillars of sustainability that that i talk about you know i talk about ecological sustainability uh, economical sustainability in the way of you got to be sustainable economically otherwise it's not going to work in the long run and that works through among other things guest service and then of course the 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 human the social um sustainability which means investing in people in your own people but also invest into in the communities around you. So it sounds like uh, Cotters has been um, going down that line for a long time. If you if you tell me the story this way, I, which I, I wasn't, I truly wasn't aware of. Uh, that's not what what I had, um, you know, what I had absorbed from from reading up on you, you know, and that you were, <laughs> that you were yeah. only, so to say, working with uh, the communities, but not really sitting on a piece of land. Um, so that that yeah. I found that quite quite impressive. So so, the, but to to formulate this in a question, um, so uh, this has been a, a way of 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 Carter's doing business for for quite some time, and I assume before this has become mainstream uh, understanding of of needing to involve communities, hasn't it? So I can imagine that you have run into into some challenges when you when you started collaborating with local communities in this way or or did am i assuming wrongly yeah um it, it's actually the communities are the are the easiest part of this narrative okay uh, because they're poor and they just want if there's another option where they don't have to uh, be in the hot burning sun cutting a bush and getting rid of wildlife putting Fences on the land, you know, the harsh reality of subsistence farmer or herder. If there's another alternative, they would love to join the multiplier economy, okay. have, have joined the, the service industry that we are all part of. Mm-hmm. Um, they would love to have this opportunity. So this this is the understanding. Um, they're the easy, they, they want, and especially the, 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 the bubble, the demographics of Africa is in Kenya is that um, 15, sorry, 50% of the population is around 15, 16 years old. 
Yeah, fantastic. So what are they all going to do? What are they all going to do? Right. And you're talking about in 10, 15 years, there'll be 120 million people in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, we need solutions, right? And mm-hmm. obviously, it's, in, it's, it's industrialization, it's urbanization, it's centralization. Um, and, and you can't expect everyone to eke out, especially with climate change, reducing the fertility. I mean, we're really struggling with climate change in Kenya and Africa mm-hmm. because it's making the rainfall fall in shorter periods of time, flooding, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. more, more distant between the floods. Or, you know, so there's, there's, there's a bad erosion during the floods and also bad overeating of the grasses and, and bushes mm. out of the floods because of the goats, sheep, etc. So no, the, the real challenge is 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 uh, the the community that captures this billion dollars and and actually when you add another half a billion from the wildlife philanthropy business, which mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you pay money to a good conservation right. cause in Africa, right. in Kenya it's about five hundred million dollars. Wow. And when you look at what it goes towards, it's not towards securing land necessarily. When, when, when this money is put to the ground, it is often going to things like schools, education, alternative, mm-hmm. uh, investing in alternative income sources on, you know, like cattle or whatever, with the idea that they're not going to reduce or remove the wildlife. It's very naive thinking and it's, it's actually uh, retrogressive. It doesn't help. So really the big challenge is convincing the industries around this, this wildlife industries basically to change their theory of change. Uh, in fact, most of them don't have a theory of change. They, they don't have a purpose. They just want to cash out and make money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, a very important way to assess a lodge or a hotel is to ask them the question, how much land do you secure uh, yourselves? Like n- not not from your clients' philanthropy, not from a donation from your guests, but you guys, your your business. What percentage of your profits go back to securing space and land? Because that is the crisis of our times. Mm-hmm. And if you consider nature, nature is wildlife. Let's call it okay. Let's say a lion or an elephant. It's like a Rembrandt painting. <laughs> the value is such as a Rembrandt painting, mm-hmm. but it is walking in the bush, killing people. But we, us experts, I say white Africans or hotel groups, very good at marketing, very selling the dream, selling champagne on the sundowner. Right. We're very good at converting or getting, capturing this Rembrandt painting value. Mm-hmm. But what is the purpose what is what good is it if it doesn't get down to where this Rembrandt painting is right. being poisoned, snared, shot, etc.? So there's no purpose other than extraction. Mm-hmm. So the big challenge is to change. It's not the community; they just want an option and an opportunity to to mm-hmm. try this. And it is it is up to us to to translate this new model for tourism to our compatriots, to the guests. We have joined the long run. Have you heard of the long right. run? Right, yeah. I was it's going to I was just going to mention well. that. So I guess there is magic in in, in, yeah. in numbers and to joining forces, right? Can you can you tell us a little bit about the Correct. long run? Yeah the, the long run was an organization actually it was formed by Jochen Zeitz, formerly Puma mm-hmm. and now Mama in Cape Town and he has a property in Kenya, and he started Long Run, a very, very visionary idea that if 
there's there's many many greenwashing accreditation processes you can just you know achieve and get the stamp and then you're okay but actually the long run is different because every year us members of the long run or the global ecosphere retreats as we've as we've now got that that status is that we have to improve in the four C's uh, obviously um conservation culture Mm-hmm. Uh, community and commerce. Mm-hmm. So we set ourselves goals at the beginning of our financial year, and we have to have improved in those four C's at the end of the year and show a continue. So basically, it, it it really makes us have to improve continuously. Okay. And this is the difference between the long runs model and everyone else's model. All right. Mm-hmm. And so we are very proud to be part of uh, an incredible group, the best of the best, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Scotland, Sweden, yeah, everywhere actually. And um, check them out uh, on, on, on the internet. And we, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's also a challenge. We actually have to have rigorous, uh, we have to have extra staff to deal with the reporting and the assessing it goes down to carbon. Um, we actually end up with a big report that we can show our agents. Mm-hmm. When clients ask them why cotters, they can actually show not only will you have a great time, see great wildlife, be great people, authentic history, but you will also achieve this with your money going to cotters. And there's pie charts showing where it all goes, etc. So we're very, very proud to be part of the long run. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I recommend anyone in the industry should be looking for doing their homework to identify such, uh, I'd say, green accreditation processes that are truthful. A real, a real not shift into, into, into ecological, into sustainable, into regenerative, right? Not just the... Exactly. You see a lot. Exactly. So from the big, and I could listen to you all day, but from the from the big going down to the to your specific properties. Now you've been you've been getting awards for a long time. I just read you've uh, you've uh, Reader's Choice just named you again one of the top fifteen resorts in East Africa, right? Um, so what oh. do you do? What makes you special? What makes you different, perhaps, mm-hmm. from others? Thank you. That's that's a great question. So it's really interesting how you research the latest research of what what clients want. Mm-hmm. It's much more to do with authentic experiences, uh, truly personal relationships, relationship building, mm-hmm. honesty, integrity, also danger or adrenaline but not really in danger mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The people people don't necessarily want you know 10,000 square foot bedrooms mm-hmm. what they what they really want is the feeling of truth and honesty so mm-hmm. cottas has always done that since day one we, we that was all we've ever done we've never changed any element of that okay um i would say that people feel like they are joining a family Mm-hmm. It's it's the Cotter family. It's not just my family. It's my over a hundred staff, some of whom have been with us for forty years, mm-hmm. and I would never replace them if they still want to work because they've got the EQ. Everyone at the camp has been basically got their job because they're exceptionally high emotional intelligence mm-hmm. from the from the most basic person 
cleaning the garden, mm -hmm. up to the management and the guides. And the other thing is we very much make an emphasis on the, the value of time. What people have least of in the first world is, is time where they don't feel it's wasted. Mm -hmm. So when you're sitting in nature, my guides are trained to say, look, just understand that time is actually part of the human. You're not wasting your time watching lions that might hunt. In fact, you're slowing your body to where it should be when you're in nature. Mm -hmm. Calm, peaceful, observing, listening, smelling, using all your senses. And then suddenly the action may happen out of the blue. That is, mm -hmm. the chase might happen. Our guides are trained to educate people how to unfold this time, this journey to be so personal. And, mm -hmm. you know, we ask people, please just write a journal at every end of the day, just put mm -hmm. a few lines down because that's what you'll come back to in 20 years, okay. 50 years time. Okay. It, it, going on safari, first of all, going on safari, going to Africa is not just another bucket list thing to do. It is the human home. The DNA cellular memory kicks in. You feel far more. It is so much more visceral and deep. And you, you've been to Africa. Yes. It is so much more than just a, a holiday. Yes. And you don't see me because so much more. video, but I'm sitting here with this really wild, crazy grin on my face right now, right? As I'm listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's only, only people who have been to Africa can truly understand what I'm saying and yes. you understand. It, it's hard to explain. They, they will often say, what, what, uh, what have you been uh, smoking this morning, Calvin? How could you know? And and yet, when people come there, so explain, right? It is people come to Cotas, People revisit and revisit with the most ever is over fifty times, and it's not unusual to have people coming twenty, thirty, twenty-five, twenty-eight times um, because it's coming home. Yes. It's peaceful, yes. and yet it's also exciting, you know. <laughs> and of course, it's about the people. People think it's always about the when you realize that we all come from Africa and that we're all human beings at the end of the day. Mm. And Africans, certainly our people are equally proud and dignified. There's, you know, basically we're all, all equal in, in Cotter's camp. No mm. one's more important than even the, I'm sorry, but even the wealthiest client that in the world could come to Cotter's. Treated as a smiling be, connection. Um, we, we don't really do so well with bowing and scraping just because someone's famous or whatever. We, we treat everyone equally mm -hmm. with dignity, mm -hmm. with pride. Mm -hmm. And of course we are service oriented. Mm -hmm. Of course we are going to do everything that is needed for service, but it is mm -hmm. a few, you know, anyone who's ever been to Cotters, my, my staff will know the last time they came, their names, what they like. It's all, it's pretty much not automatic, but it is so flowing. It's part of their DNA. It's part of their service DNA. They do it because it's part of what they do. Exactly. Exactly. But we're talking about, I mean, 70 plus percent of my staff are Maasai. Maasai are proud warriors. This is, you know, service, you know, service is not their natural thing. Not their DNA. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it has been quite an interesting uh, journey for them to also understand what, what makes, what is it? that makes someone pay quite a lot of money to stay at Cotter's in terms of service? What, what do people expect? Is it the bowing and scraping? No, it's not. It is, it is the quality, the dignity of service. And, you know, not being too close, not being too far, just being just 
tipping in right when is when the service is needed and then pulling back and yet also being able to tell the story. The guest wants to talk to my staff. They're completely free to say whatever they want to say. Um, you know, mostly it's a good story because we work with the very same community on the conservation and we improve all their families have improved because of it. So it, it just, it's a story of integrity, authenticity, and honesty. So, so uh, can I We're double click on that, uh, Calvin? Because, um, as you know, I'm th that's that's where I come from, right? The training people is almost a bit flat, but helping helping people who might not have the the typical um, service background help them uh, move comfortably uh, in a in a in a uh, in a service environment and and provide the kind of service that people from the first world. Uh, like to have and and there are many um, hoteliers and and managers out there who moan and groan about the fact that you know they're, they're putting up the, these f fantastic properties uh, in some some forgotten corner of the world mm. and then you know they wink wink they can't get the right staff because they can't find people that provide the kind of service now no. you seem to have overcome uh, uh, this this challenge so how do you you've mentioned also earlier so i'm going to make two questions in one you said people are hired for their eq how do you hire people for yep. eq number one and number two is how do you really like yep. you said you know i just had this vision of a Masa maasai warrior and, and the concept of service and it's not there you know maybe hospitality but you know what i mean right it's not it, like you said they're warriors they're not yep. they're not service people right so yep. how do you how do you manage to to have people behave in a way that to us foreigners it it strikes that chord of feeling at home you know that's a great question and it's always happened organically with us mm -hmm. so we will we will obviously have a group of people if there's a if there's an opening uh, we would interview and our actually our management team a CEO would interview a range of people for the job. Mm -hmm. And we would primarily be looking for, besides the actual academic qualifications or whatever, we will look for basically response within the, for me, I look at the response in the first five minutes, um, how engaging they are, how, how much they can anticipate the questions or the quality of answers mm -hmm. will tell me a lot about EQ. And, mm -hmm. and because I'm an, I'm an empath myself, I put myself in their shoes. And, and one thing is you're, if you're over-formalized with structures, SOPs, KPIs, if your whole organization is over-formalized or formulated um, with a drive for uh, uh, cost savings, mm -hmm. you know, that can take away the spirit. So mm -hmm. one of the ways of having, once you found your person, you choose that person, that you, you you need to give them a real reason to belong. So this is the what the C of the the learn for Cotter's culture is the Cotter's culture. It's not the Maasai culture. That's community. Mm -hmm. So it's the Cotter's culture. And so we bring them in, and we do basic. Uh, this is what you do. This is the head person that that's going to train you. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, they have to be able to adapt to any part of. I may ask them, please run quickly and uh, do this or that. You know, it may be in, in, in the bush, you need people to be able to do everything. They're not mm -hmm. just going to 
even the contract will be you're a waiter, but they should right. be able to be adaptable. So it's about attitude. Mm-hmm. We will know within within two weeks very clear whether the attitude is right. Mm-hmm. And then going from there, um, the willingness to their job frame, mm-hmm. the TOR, and then the other staff, once they once they've got the trust of the other staff, the other staff will help frame, shape and frame working relationship with within the camp. But of course, we also have an elders committee mm-hmm. of nine people that represents all men, women, young, old, and all the different uh, tribal groupings that work in the camp. We have about 15. It's not just the Maasai. We have lots of different people. So we, we, we have to get the trust of everyone and that they're part of a team that will back each other up. Um, and let me just tell you, I don't even think about what is happening at my camp in terms of service, integrity, uh, when I'm sitting here in, in Europe, mm-hmm. because I know it's being taken care of as if I was there. Represent me. They know that the Cotter values, they have to impart the Cotter values to the clients, mm-hmm. morals, values, and integrity. So, so I'd say it's about being, being, having an element of, of being part of it. It's not just a job. You're part of a team that is changing people's lives mm-hmm. for better. You got to believe that. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope that makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely, beautiful. Ah, and I just got an idea, another yeah. idea in my head for my for my next project. So thank you very much for mm-hmm. for triggering that thought. Um, I'll tell you about it later. Um, <laughs> it's it's too much. Fantastic. <laughs> so let me um, and I, I yeah, see yeah. our time. I, I I promised you an hour only. Um, but uh could you could you tell me a little bit about the the for for lack of a better word for the, the, the obvious things that that you do at your properties uh to conserve to 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 run mm-hmm. your operation sustainably and sure. um, I'm thinking about sure. uh, you know the person that has a, a, an operation and wants to get just you know a little more sustainable um, what, what what can we learn from you oh, okay so you know one of the challenges of being a very old camp um, you know, you started out, we started out with four little tents mm-hmm. and long drop toilets, you know, mm-hmm. very, very simple mm-hmm. because we come from the mobile camp background and all that. So we've slowly built up, but we had to rebuild and rebuild as we expanded. We now have uh, uh, say 11 tents and one villa. That's all we have. We're, we're not a chain. We're just, mm-hmm. right. we're just one place. Um, so if you're starting out, you, you've got to look at truly being carbon neutral that means yeah go for electric vehicles go for solar you need to be truly dealing with your wastewater correctly mm. you need to be truly limiting your water use all of that normal stuff mm. you, you know that is so mm. that is so that's the lowest threshold you can go for but then if you want to do the bigger picture um making tourism if you're in africa making tourism function better you, you need to really look at the theory of change what is the purpose of this lodge mm-hmm. it's not just about cashing out dividends it's going to have a purpose because i can tell you i guarantee you that the next generation of of client is going to be saying what is your conservation 
um, approach a result. Mm -hmm. I, I need to see it in paper. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they they're going to be comparing lodges, and mm -hmm. anyway, this is definitely coming. Uh, so, my recommendation: be secure. It depends where you are, but in the Mara, we're looking at between three hundred and six hundred acres per room, secured per year from the finances brought in by that lodge. Secured, I mean leased. Mm -hmm. Leased from the people, the poor people who own that land, mm -hmm. so that they don't farm it. Okay, but they get the income so they can buy food, or they live in centrally and join the multiplier economy in town with normal normal business. And this is not displacing people. This is actually giving them a regular, reliable income mm -hmm. that keeps them from poverty and starvation and allows them to climb up the hierarchy mm -hmm. of needs. Mm -hmm. So it is about. It's it's so for example, let me put it this way. Be wary of lodges inside national parks reserves mm -hmm. that only pay very, very minimal fees to the whether the local government or the national government, and that that government does not secure land outside because you know, through subsidies or other mechanisms. Because actually 70% of all wildlife is outside of national parks and reserves. The crisis for wildlife is outside national parks and reserves. Mm -hmm. And the fact that a lodge is inside the park or national reserve, it doesn't take away the knowledge that the crisis is outside. Mm -hmm. So if the purpose of that lodge is not actually to secure land outside the reserve as well, in fact, the land inside is already secure by national decree. So in fact, what is the purpose of tourism inside national parks and reserves when it's the responsibility of the government to pay for parks and preserves from the tax base. Mm -hmm. So really we have to look at the questions of if you're starting a tourism operation, first of all, ideally you need to ideally go to a place where there is no tourism, where you bring a completely new economic opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you do the theory of change work, all the websites for this mm -hmm. and the contacts for this. And then you do a leasing model of as large a land as possible. And then you allow the wildlife to come back or you contribute for the wildlife to come back. And each new species that comes back, you pay more per mm -hmm. hectare per year. So mm -hmm. people have more reason to keep it and yeah. keep you there mm -hmm. and et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I hope that makes sense. It makes total sense to me. Total sense to me. And uh, um, I heard you say before you are you are um, formulating a lot of your thoughts on your Facebook page. So I'm going to be um, I'm going to be um, making a note of that uh, to to really learn more from you. And you are sharing your your you, you are sharing these thoughts, right? So you are connecting with others, and you are working on bringing yep. your your thoughts to life. Absolutely. I mean, I am I am planning, you know, I'm of the age now where I've got to really start putting my thoughts down. I might end up doing similar to you, podcast or or actually video casts, um, because I think a lot of this needs to be shown. Absolutely. Um, so, sort of uh, as, uh, five minute segments, you know, there's only so much information people can yeah. can can digest. And this issue, so what, what's happened to me, Lydia, is, oh, I'm just running a little tourism lodge. Oh, okay, our history. Now, okay, we're going to have a new theory of change about what is the role of tourism. How do we make the Rembrandt of wildlife mm -hmm. <laughs> work for thousands of people to keep it, etc.? Oh, hang on. This is a question about what is capitalism doing? So it's always much bigger. 
what is the purpose of capitalism if it is not equity and biodiversity, given the problems of our planet? Oh, that, so it's basically brought my mind, you know, Noah Haruri type um, levels of thinking and interest, um, which which uh, which I think we all need to consider. Um, it, everything we do in capitalism has to have the purpose, in my view, of equity and biodiversity conservation. And they can be the same thing, by the way, the same mechanism. Yeah. Well, uh, Kelvin, I can I can attest to the fact that uh, should you run a podcast, I can promise you great success. And I'm a big podcast junkie. I mean, the reason why I've been so slow in answering ah. or in, in in posing fresh questions because I've just been listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> not thinking about my next question, just listening well, to you. So you're doing a very good job on that. <laughs> not so good for the interviewer, but oh, thank uh, you very as much. A, as a listener, <laughs> uh, I can I can promise you a great success. So uh, thank you so much for for basically for 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 sharing your your podcast knowledge uh, ahead of time here with me with us. Um, it's been very enlightening, very very. Um, uh, 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 what should I say? It's 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 brought me a lot of uh, not only good thoughts, but it educated me, and I hope it will educate others as well. I thank, I thank you. I thank you. It's been truly a pleasure talking to you, even more so than I thought in advance. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, and it doesn't end. You know, if you have questions, I can send you links to these um, mechanisms that I'm talking about. And I, you know, I've, I've helped create. Them. So I've got, there are links to them and that sort Excellent. of thing. So yes. um, like the Theory of Change, the Masa Marawala Conservation Association, that sort of thing. Um, and thank you again. And let me know if there's any feedback. I'd be very interested to hear oh. what people say and if there's a response or if there's any questions. Right. Happy to answer questions. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, it's been excellent. Thank you so much, Calvin. Thank you so much. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye. All the best. So, what did you think? What an interesting conversation, huh? I could have gone on for hours. So, as usual, you're very welcome to reach out to Calvin. That would be cotters.com, C-O-T-T-A-R-S. You met him, right? He is super communicative. He's very open. He's so friendly and he's so generous sharing his experience and insights around these topics here. So please do reach out for him for more information. Yeah, as always, thank you so much for your time, for your curiosity, and I definitely look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.